Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 30 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you're listening in from right now, I'm your host, as always, Robbie Cox. Now, International Women's Health Week continues on the show today. Our special guest is none other than former AIS coach, former Australian team coach, and a woman who has worked very closely with names such as Kai Hurst, Craig Stevens, and someone you all may know by the name of Ian Thorpe. My special guest today is none other than Tracy Menzies. I spoke to Tracy a few weeks ago about her own journey into coaching, transitioning from being an athlete herself, the amazing time she had working with SLC Aquadot and the high performance team she had there, moving down to the ACT and how much she enjoyed the experience in our nation's capital, as well as moving up to Brisbane in recent years and how much she's been enjoying working with the age group athletes. So grab a coffee or a hot chocolate for the kids. I've already got mine, by the way. Find a quiet spot to settle in because Ep 30 with Tracy Menzies starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 're on the show is a woman who's coached at the top level now for 20 years coming uh, she came into prominence when she took over as head coach at SLC Aquador in 2002 and coached and mentored athletes such as Kai Hurst Craig Stevens and someone you all may know by the name of Ian Thorpe since then she has worked successfully down at the AIS coaching many talented athletes to international and national success and now works up in Brisbane as head coach of Rackley Swim Club in Parkinson. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swing podcast to Tracy Menzies. Tracy, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, big intro there, mate. It was a mouthful to get through, but uh, it's a credit to you for, for your, you know, your years of work and what you've achieved. Uh, how are you going at the moment up there? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. We're just... Um back into the grind and yeah so it was pretty good after COVID having a bit of a break so that was nice um yeah the kids have all grown which is good so we're just getting back in ready for the back end of winter and then into the summer I was going to ask about that sort of you know period where the pandemic hit and everyone had to take a break how'd you go was the family affected at all obviously work-wise were you how affected were you uh work was hard like we were all um initially not knowing what was going to happen. I think that was the hard part. But then, um, yeah, we were lucky. We all went on to JobKeeper. So that was a good thing from Rackley. Um, yeah, just the family. I think that was hard, like not being able to see. I'm pretty close with my family. So, and now with our borders locked, we can't have any family up. So that's actually pretty difficult. But in saying that, we actually had some really lovely quality time. It was good. Got to do yeah. some homeschooling and, yeah, it was good. Got back into my teacher mode, so that was good. I think that home time was nice for, oh, I'm going to say maybe six weeks. And then after about six weeks, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I know me and my wife started to just grate on each other slightly. Just little things just started to be like, oh, I'd normally be at work. Or this wouldn't be happening. Or I know she would be like, you know, things I should have been doing that I normally wouldn't be because I'd be at work. So about six weeks, it was perfect. Then after six weeks, I started thinking, yeah, it might be nice to just slowly go back to normality. Yeah. No, we were pretty good. We picked projects <laughs> up and yeah, so it was good. I think, yeah. You make the most of any opportunity. Absolutely. Now, mate, for anyone who doesn't know, how did the Tracy story start around swimming and, and coaching? How, how did you get into it? Mm, um, well, I swam. I swam under Doug Frost. Um, yeah, maybe the back end of my career probably isn't how I wanted my swimming to end, but um, it is what it is. And, um, yeah, I got quite sick at the end of my career and then uh, took me a little while to get back into swimming mm. um I went and did a university degree and taught art uh, so I was 
in the midst of doing uni and I needed some cash. So I went and started working at Sutherland teaching Learn to Swim. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's funny. That's sort of where you realise what your real passion is, I think, passion for teaching. And I was very fortunate. Greg Hodge was there at that point in time. Um, was pretty persistent on me trying to make sure that I'd get into coaching and constantly kept pushing back. And, uh, yeah, he... T's credit kept, he saw something, I think, like I've said even with Ian, like he saw something in me and mm. encouraged me to pursue that avenue and, yeah, it's funny. It was like a duck to water. I started coaching a bit and it was something that I got a real lot of enjoyment out of and it was something that wasn't a job, it was a passion. So mm. I really, and then the rest is history. I went through, finished my teaching degree. So I did art then I went through and did teaching. So I was teaching and coaching full time for quite some years. And um, yeah, and I'm very grateful that I did have that opportunity to teach because I had some fantastic mentors and have helped me be the coach and the person that I am. Backtrack for a second, just with your swimming. How did you go as a swimmer? And you mentioned there you weren't, you know, overly happy with the way you sort of bowed out of, of, of swimming. Why was that? What, what was that around? Um, like I was a national age medalist. I'd, um, yeah, I was an okay swimmer. I wouldn't say I was a fantastic swimmer, but I was okay. Um, yeah, yeah I, um, I ended up quite sick at the back end of my career. So I um, ended up with a lot of chronic illness, mm-hmm. which took a, a long time to heal and repair and, yeah, but it's actually assisted and helped me in my path now for coaching. So, yeah, there's things that I identify and resonates with me. And, um, yeah, so on a different quest, put it that way. Upon reflection around your illness at that time and being so run down, was it outside of swimming influences or do you think swimming played its part maybe, you know, sort of overdoing things and, and running the body down where to point it probably, you know, was too much? Um, I think it was many factors. I think, um, yeah, I think that quest for perfection, I think, is something too. And there's definitely a pleasing element within myself that I try and do whatever I can to make sure that I'm doing things right. And consequently, I think that came at a price. And, um, yeah, it was, but it's, Sometimes out of some of those journeys are big life lessons and, yeah, it's definitely been lessons that I reflect on now and if I had my time again, would I change things? Yeah, I probably would change some things, but if I'd changed those things, I wouldn't have the path that I've got today. So I think, yeah, my path is definitely, like somebody asked me the other day, what's your legacy in coaching? And I think it's to help and educate. And if I hadn't have experienced some of those things, I wouldn't be able to assist and have the knowledge that I have today yeah. in terms of coaching and where I come from. So, yeah. And I think that's the thing too. You don't know somebody's story, their backstory. And I think it's really important that people cast judgment sometimes without actually knowing the story. So, Absolutely, they do. And just to give you a bit of a backstory as to why I asked that question, pushed a little bit more around the illness. I know, I know that um, I spoke to Grant Hackett not long ago, and he always says that his Olympic years weren't always his best because he would push himself to a point where he'd end up just running his body into the ground. And although, yes, he, he won in Sydney and he won in Athens, but we all know what he went through in Athens to, 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 oh. to pay what the price he paid to, to get that. So, uh, you know, just around achieving and, and sort of driving yourself probably past the point that you should be. Um, definitely interesting at times. Yeah. I think that's an important thing too, that as coaches, we teach athletes to listen to their body. So, yeah. And be able to give athletes a voice. I think that's the big thing too, that as coaches we need to hear that voice 
You mentioned there you started in Learn to Swim and you got in the pool. How important is that, do you think, for coaches that they at least have a, a good understanding of what it takes to teach kids how to swim and the, the process of all of that? Because you see so often, don't you, kids um, finish their, their swimming career and they go straight onto pool deck and they're coaching and then everything sort of, you know, those kids are getting produced for them, basically. They, the, the stock line just keeps on coming through. Do you think it's important that you at least have a good understanding of what's happening behind the scenes? Well, I, I, I'm always somebody that likes to know grassroots level. That's always been my personality. So, yeah, if I'm going to build something, I want to know from the grassroots right through. So it was a big thing for me. Like I taught and I was very fortunate. I had really good teachers at Sutherland and very hard too. Like we had to tick a lot of boxes to show that we were proficient and competent in what we did. But I think it was really good grounding too that, it doesn't come easy. So you had to work at it and work hard and numerous ways of explaining things. What worked with one child wouldn't necessarily work with another child. So I think that's really important and to teaching the fundamentals of skill. Like now I can look at a body position or I can look at an athlete and go, I'm oh, not breathing where somebody else goes, Oh, how can you see that? It's, mm. you just have that skill set that you know how to see what you need to see. What did you most about coaching when you first started? And has that changed over the years? Because I'm assuming when you first started, you're working with more younger athletes and then obviously, you know, progress with your time at SLC and down at AIS with, you know, senior athletes. And obviously you've got to almost be a man manager at that stage as well as coaching. There's definitely a fine art to what you're doing. Don't get me wrong, but you've definitely, there's a lot of things going on outside of, of swimming that you've got to look at. Whereas, for someone who's, you know, 10, 11, 12, you're sort of just basing it off what's happening in the pool? Um, well, I think in many ways, I think they sort of correlate the same, that like a 10 or 11-year-old is developing so many different aspects of their life. They're developing as a person, mm. their, their position at school they're developing, then you've got parental pressures that... Is it the kids that want it or is it the parents that want it? So you're managing those aspects, you're um, managing expectation. I think that's a big thing at a young age is um, sometimes the skill set doesn't actually equate to what people's perform, what they think their performance should be. So mm -hmm. you might be managing those aspects. And then when you look at a, a senior athlete, you're trying to manage their business empires, their... Um, their KPIs, are they going to keep scholarships? Do they, what do we need to do to keep them in the water, injuries? So I think first and foremost, I think the thing is just know what you're coaching, know the product in front of you and coach what's in front of you. And I think that's the most important thing, not overcomplicate. Don't try and take a 10-year-old and put what an 18-year-old's doing. It's not going to work. So coached what's in front and I think that was something that was taught to us when we were young that like going through learn to swim that it's really know your product know what you have to do do it well do it to the best of your ability and then they will do the same in return I think that is perfect advice, Tracy. And what that resonates with me about is, as I said to you, I've had Bob Bowman on the podcast. I've had Greg Troy on the podcast. And quite often people will text me and say, oh, it was really great. But, you know, there wasn't enough uh, sets in there. I really wanted to know what sets Michael Phelps was doing or, uh, you know, Dressel's been doing. And I'd say, but you, you coach 13-year-olds. What do you, yeah. you don't want to be doing a Michael Phelps set with a 13-year-old, you know? Uh, obviously, it's interesting to have it and no doubt, you know, it, it's, it's good to hear that sort of stuff and it might, you know, get your brain ticking. But certainly, um, you know, age group athletes shouldn't be doing a, a Michael Phelps set when he was getting ready for Beijing. No. And I think it's like the skill development too, like... If you're fortunate enough, like that was something at Sutherland we had. We had to learn to swim right through to open level that you could progress your sets, progress their skill development, their training ability as well. It was, so you saw all stages of the progress. And I think that's something that within Australia, that's something that I think, yeah, we, um, we sort of lost in a few ways that, yeah, that we sort of, not take shortcuts, that's not the right word, but, um, yeah, it, it's just taking the time to go through those incremental 
stages of development, I think is really important. Do you think, and I don't want to say cut corners either, but do you think that that um, analogy you use there of trying to get to that place a little bit probably quicker without going through the right channels is because we were blessed with, you know, Ian Grant, Susie, Jeff Hugel, Michael Clem, Gian Rooney, all these guys, and all of a sudden we we saw, not that we didn't have superstars coming through, but probably the depth of talent wasn't coming and then people started trying to fast track things to to the point where they weren't ready yet. Well, I think the thing too, like, I think we forget these people all came through really good programs. They mm. came through really great, stable programs that they were juggernauts. Like Miami had a fantastic learn to swim program right through to an open level program. Um, Melbourne Vic Centre, Popey, like had a fantastic age group program right through. So like that period of time where we're saying that they were really good, successful age group programs as well as open programs. And, like, that was the thing, to try and work under a top coach. Like, when I was working under Greg and under Doug, like, I, I was blessed. I was grateful that I had that opportunity to be working under the best coaches and seeing people come through and seeing their development. Like, seeing the Kirsten Thompsons, the Simon Cowleys, the Craig Stevens come through our national age program right through to our open program was a phenomenal thing and having that opportunity to do that. So as much as the kids coming through, I think it's us coaches too coming through the steps, the incremental steps, as you said, like from learn to swim right through. Mm. Not that every coach has to go to learn to swim, but I think it's really important that you know your place and do do your time too. Mm. But, yeah, but it doesn't come easy that when people go, oh, you're so lucky you've, you've done it. No, we've all done our time. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just got to churn it out. It doesn't come easy. Nothing comes easy in life. You've got to work hard for what you want. So. Yeah. And as you said, there's a lot of people who have a perception of, of what's happened and how you've got to where you've got to, but no one really knows the backstory and the hard yards and all those early mornings, late nights, doing the extras. Yeah. And I think that's, that's all of us. Like all of us have a story and that's the thing that sometimes people just take a snippet of a story and um, yeah, want to blow it out of a proportion of what it actually is or isn't. And um, only us, only us that live the experience know the true story. And that's the thing I always say that, if you can look yourself in the mirror and know you've been honest and honest in your approach daily, you've done the best job you can do. Great advice. Now, mate, being a woman in coaching shouldn't make a difference to anything. Um, certainly if I'm walking around on pool deck, I don't go, that's a female coach. That's a male coach. We're all coaches. But, you know, you've been, you've been in the game for a long time now. And probably when you first started, it was more male dominated than it is now. Certainly, I think it's almost 50-50 at the moment. There's just, as I said, there's, female coaches are uh, killing it and doing a great job. Did you feel when you first started, it was, it was more of a, a boys club? Did you feel like maybe opportunities weren't as easily to get for, for yourself? And have you seen that change over time? Um, well, I think I was really lucky. Like um, Doug gave me a lot of opportunities when I came through. And that's, like I said to him, I was very fortunate like that he didn't just develop me and he developed me as well. So I was always internally and I still am internally grateful that he gave me that opportunity, but also Greg for seeing something in me. So I did have good people around me like Bill Sweetman. He selected me on quite a few youth teams. Um, I remember one year he actually said to me, oh, what do you think your skill set is, male or female? And I had quite a few age group girls at that point in time. I was doing a pretty good job with them. He said, all right, you're going to head up the male team. And I was like, oh, God, really? Like, seriously? And, um, yeah, but he, he challenged, but he also looked and if he saw something in you and you could articulate why you were doing the things you were doing, he was supportive of you. And I'm internally grateful because I think that taught me to be curious and to be creative in my coaching because, as you said, there's not always one path. There's many different paths and... Yeah, so I think I was very grateful that he allowed me to do that but put me in an environment where I was protected to do it. So um, I think probably the hardest time was probably when I did take Ian that, um, yeah, I think there were a lot of question marks whether I was capable of doing it 
And, um, yeah, athletes change now and there's not the question marks hanging over the head where it probably was when Ian chose me. And, yeah, and I think in the arena that it was, that's I think that was the difficult point, that it was right under the spotlight that we didn't have an element of breathing space. It was the constant under the microscope. So, yeah, but... But in saying, if you can do it under that, you can do it under anything. So Those question marks, was it around more, do you think, experience or was it around, you know, I'm going to say male or female, but did you feel that way? Was it more an attack on your experience? Not an attack, that's an aggressive way of saying it, but you know what I mean. Were they more pushing you on your experience and, and what they thought was a lack of or was it around, oh, well, you know, it should be a I male think it was just. I think it was just question marks. I think Ian had made a choice and, yeah, he... Um, but in saying he made a choice and we just had to get on and do what we had to do. So it was, we could either look and go, okay, I'm going to let this pull us, well, both of us let it pull us down and, or we get on and do the job we had to do. And, and that was a thing. Ian had said he felt confident in me as a coach and that's, we just kept our head down, our bums up and just worked hard and did what we had to do. And 2003, he swam really well and then 2004, yep, fantastic results. So with everything that was happening at that point in time and and that's the thing I think too, people can say it's easy but when you're under the spotlight and people willing and wanting for things to go wrong, yeah, to be able to stand up and deliver on the world arena, mm. yeah, with the pressure that he had for that 400, I think, is testament to him on his achievements as an athlete. So, yeah. As coaches, you know, there's a lot of different sort of styles and, and there's a lot of different, I guess, personalities. Some are relaxed, some are high intensity. What do you think your sort of unique style is and, and what do you think works best for you with your athletes? Obviously, you know, you've had some great success. So there, there's a certain style, a philosophy that you work with that, that works for them. What do you think that is? Um, I think the most important thing is knowing, knowing your athlete. So I take the time to make sure that I know what it is that they need, whether it's technical advice, whether it's um, a voice. For some athletes, it's merely just having that, that they can have some ownership in their program. Um, yeah, there's... Like many people would say, I'm probably too soft. That's probably a criticism that I've constantly had, but I wear that with a badge of honour now that um, my vulnerability is actually my strength, mm. that I look and go, you know what, I can be a voice for my athletes and I am prepared to change things up and if it means that we do something different to get the result, we'll do it. And I think that's something that I'm probably proud of too, that I can be courageous enough to change things, that I've well, I've put a swimmer on from a 100-metre event to a 10K and many different strokes in between. So I do have versatility and I do have depth in what I coach. Um, but I think the most important thing is, though, just being able to coach what is there and be able to hear what they need. I think I've had athletes, some that have been um, not broken, that's not the right word, um, that like have gone through rehab. So you've got, actually got to take the time to rebuild and sometimes mm -hmm. the physical rebuilding but the emotional rebuilding is actually a lot harder than the physical. So, yeah, but it's taking the time. Mm. You mentioned there about the perception of at times maybe being softer. I'm assuming that's similar to what we talked about, about looking outside in, but you don't really know the journey. I'm sure there's times you've had tough conversations, but it's more about communicating, not so much talking down to, but talking with and having those conversations still. Yeah. Well, I think um, I'm somebody that I'll take the time to listen. And um, yeah, I... I'll work my, I'll like to, I think the thing is to, you've got to be strong to your own principles. And I've always said the behaviour will walk past as a behaviour except. And 
being strong isn't just standing and yelling. That's not a strong personality. A strong personality is somebody that can call somebody out on things. And there's many athletes that will tell you, I'm the first to call people out when they need to be called out. And behaviour is a big thing for me. That, yeah. But being respectful, I think that's a thing. Honesty, integrity, those things are they're big values for me that, yeah, what, what I see is what... Don't tell me one thing and do something else. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, that brings me to my next question, which was about team culture. Do you think those are the sort of attributes that, that go towards having a really good team culture? You've obviously been a part of some great teams in your career and, and obviously part of having a great team is that culture and, and that hard work ethic, but holding each other accountable and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think it's, it's a respect and it's knowing that what works for one person may not work for somebody else, but it's a respect and an understanding. Like when you get into a big team environment, it's what one person does is going to be different to what somebody else is doing, but it's that sense of respect and admiration for where they are and what they're doing and assisting. I think that's the thing that we are all one team that, I don't think when we get to that point, we're not all individuals. We are one team. And Swimming Australia, all of us around the country, we're all trying. Like, it's tough. Melbourne at the moment, like, I really feel for the kids and coaches in Melbourne at the moment. Like, that's hard. And I've said to the kids I coach, like, be grateful you have a pool every day to training. That, mm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that we've just got to come together more as a group. If you've got one another's back, you'll have great success. Hey, coaching boys and girls, how do they differ, do you think, mentally in terms of managing them and, and getting the best out of them individually? Do you think it is just essentially that, an individual thing? So whether they're male or female, it doesn't matter? Or is there certain traits, do you think, that you need to sort of be acutely aware of? I think it depends ages too. Like yeah, they yeah. all change too. Like I know... Like we've got a group now that are changing like from young kids into adolescents. So they're going through a period and then you've got adolescents going into adulthood. So I think it's respecting the age, respecting the gender, but just respecting them as a person. I think that's the most important thing that, and like sometimes you will connect with some people and sometimes you won't connect, but that doesn't mean that it, what doesn't work for one isn't going to work for somebody else either. That sometimes kids may not work under your guidance and that's okay. You can find other coaches and find other ways to do things. It doesn't mean that you failed as a coach just because somebody doesn't gel with you either. It's like mm -hmm. teaching. So, I mean, that's, I think that's perfect advice. And, and I know, certainly now I feel that way as well but did that take you a while to get to that point I know certainly at certain times when kids would leave me I'd be just filthy on myself going what have I done what was going on what could I have done better but to your point if you kind of look at it it was probably you know never going to work and it does that's okay because they went on to be successful and not you know I've gone on to do you know good things with age group swimmers that weren't necessarily those guys so do you th does that take a while to get to do you think though I think it's like anything it's hard when you lose something I think that's that's just our natural human makeup that it's tough to lose things and don't get me wrong like it has been hard when I've had athletes move on but I think at the end of the day you've had them for a period of time and whether it's long or short they'll learn something from you and then they take that it's part of their toolbox that's how I always look at it it's you're putting tools that equip them for life. So part of those skills they will take on to other parts in their life. So you don't look at it as closure. You look at it as part of the next journey. That's another chapter that's starting and beginning. So, yeah, that's how I sort of look at it and work through life that one door chart closes, another one opens. Hey, Doug Frost, no doubt, one of the best coaches in the business and you worked alongside him. What did you learn from Doug and what are some of the main things that stuck with you from, from what you, he taught you that, you know, you've gone on to use to great success yourself? Um, like he was very meticulous in his planning. He was a really good planner in his coaching. 
Um, understanding of skill base was really good. Understanding of skill, um, skill development, set development, importance of all aspects of the stroke, like keep, pull, um, perfect practice. Like he was a very big one on making sure that people did things and did things well. And as us as coaches too, don't allow bad behaviours, don't tolerate poor behaviours. So he was a very hard taskmaster, though, in terms of what he expected from us as coaches, but also as athletes, like he expected perfection as well. So sometimes that comes at a price as well, so you've got to be careful. But, um, yeah, he, he definitely a major question too, like why you were doing things, the importance of why you did things. So, was that easy at the beginning? I know obviously by a certain time of, of working and, you know, with Doug and, and understanding what he wanted, but at first was that a little bit much, you know, to, to sort of be questioned or be challenged or sort Oh, well, of... you knew your place. You yeah. were your assistant coach. You worked under the guidance of what was expected. Um, yeah, there was definitely a formula that, he knew worked and we had to stick to that formula. And if you proved yourself, then yeah, you were, you were given a bit more flexibility and freedom. So yeah, yeah, but like anything, you had to earn their trust and um, show that you were capable of doing the job. Do you think that's still the case to today? I know I'm, I'm sure there are places that still, you know, you've got to earn your stripes, but I'd certainly around pool deck, you, you see certain people, all of a sudden popping up and they're, they're coaching. You think, I, I didn't even know they were coaching, but they've just got a gig and they're coming through. Do you think it's still times have changed? It's maybe a little bit easier to get into coaching these days. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, well, I think probably our, our structures are a little different now, I think, too. Um, yeah, it was clubs were, and that was the thing. You always wanted a gig as an, like an assistant coach. That yeah. was yeah, you wanted to work under the best. And I think that's something that, like, there's a lot now that will say, oh, well, I'm out doing my own thing, but haven't actually worked with anyone else and worked with other styles. And, like, I was very lucky in that regard that I worked with a lot of different coaches and had the opportunity to see how many different coaches operated and how they worked and how they did things and... Like we would come together through New South Wales too, which we used to do a lot of coach education work. So like junior coaches would come together that the senior coaches would run. So we were very fortunate in that regards that we had good education and good mentoring in that capacity. So yeah, like Ruth Everest and Karen Morass, like I remember like those ladies taking clinics like, so yeah, like Auburn swim program that was one of the best swim programs in Sydney so yeah it's so I think the thing is too you always got to be open and eyes open and learning all the time and it it doesn't mean you have to learn on the deck too it could be like other aspects of life too that like teaching and things like that so yeah it's one of the uh other main reasons why I started the podcast because this is professional development for me. Every time I sit down and talk to people, I've had a lot of people say to me, are you going to get on the webinar today? Are you going to get on the, because there's been you know, a great amount of, of talks that have been happening with ASCA and all these sorts of things. And quite often they'll conflict with me talking to Grant Hackett or me talking to Greg Troy. And, and you know, so I, I definitely um, take your point about learning. I've enjoyed it probably more than I thought I would. I was doing this at first to give back to the, to the athletes and to give back to the parents and, um, you know, give them your stories so that they can learn for themselves. But, you know, definitely once I got started, I was, you know, jotting down notes and changing things in my own program and taking things on board. So yeah, I think you're right in terms of having to take things on board and constantly be looking at ways to learn. Yeah. And I think the thing is too, to see out the journey, I think, is really important that often as coaches we'll sort of look and keep looking across and go, oh, but they're doing this or they're doing that without actually looking and going, I'll actually see the whole cycle out and make a judgment and reflect on the season mm. and then make judgments after that. But we'll look and swap and change and 
you can't really make a true assessment because you've made so many changes on what has or hasn't happened. So, yeah, having faith in yourself, I think, is really important. Yeah, self-belief is, is very important. Um, but the opportunity to become head coach and work with Thorpe, Craig Stevens, and all those other great names that you mentioned, what was that experience like? Because I, I know I can assume from the outside looking in, it, it seems you know, super exciting, especially with, you know, Ian's profile being so high, but I can only imagine it came with its own challenges in terms of pressure and all that sort of stuff. What was it like? Um, well, I think it was difficult, like in the start, like when I first took them on, there was a lot of change that was happening at Sutherland too. So that was a difficult and a, um, quite a, a turmoil sort of period. Um, but in itself, like the actual coaching, it was it was great. I had a group of athletes that were willing to try new things. We'd added different things into our training. We added boxing, yoga. We were doing sand hills. Like we were doing things that other programs weren't doing and we were getting success and it worked. So, and that was something that I think I was... Um, like I was creative in, in the capacity that it was, I was trusting myself. I was yeah. prepared to take a challenge. I was going to do it. And no matter what happened, I would wear it. And, and I did. And then I think when I went through, when Ian did retire, I think that was, that was a pretty hard time that, yeah. Um, yeah. I just think if we could have done it a little differently, then maybe it could have looked different today but it is what it is mm. and then having kids in the middle of that mix as a mum in wouldn't have been easy. yeah so like I remember both my kids I worked the day I had both my kids so I worked right up until the day I had them and then pretty much back on deck straight away and like it was really hard like my son was born he had um, some heart he had health issues when he was born and that was pretty difficult time. Like Ian was pulling off Commonwealth Games and, yeah, we didn't know whether our son was going to have to go in and have surgery. And it was, it was a really tough period in time for me in many different aspects of my life, but I had to try and keep even balance and then getting criticised that I was being too empathetic towards some of my athletes. It was like, if only people really knew the story and knew what we were going through that, um, yeah. So I sort of held that together and then, um, went through and then got Ian and Craig up for an Olympic team and had another child. And yeah, so we went through some highs and lows and, um, yeah, I think the thing I'm proud of is that I've still managed to stay in high performance as well as being a mum and, trying to balance life and balance all those aspects as well. So, yeah, I've tried to be a good role model for my kids. You mentioned just there if you could have done things differently, things might have turned out in a different way in terms of um, Thorpe's retirement. What did you mean by that? Um, well, I think if we could have had a, like a, a good six months or a year where we didn't have to compete and try, like, just to take a bit of downtime after Athens, I think maybe maybe the path might have been a bit different. But, um, yeah, but a top athlete, everyone's going to push and pull you in the way that they think is the right way. And, yeah, it's only in reflection now that you look and go, if only I'd had a stronger voice at that point in time. But, yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes your voice isn't the voice they want to hear at that point in time. So... What are some of the highlights for you in your time working with that group when you look back and I don't necessarily want to put words in your mouth because what you see as a highlight, you know, I might be saying something you're like, yeah, it was good, but I really appreciated this point in time. What are some of the things you look back on with those athletes in that time that you're really proud of? Um, I sort of look that like at Sutherland we had, and like some of those kids weren't Olympians, but I look and go, they were a great group of kids. Like when I look now and see where they all are in their lives, like their parents now, they're married. 
they were a really good group of kids that helped me through in a pretty difficult time too and supportive and like to look now and like I still have connections with those kids now that I well they're not kids they're adults and in their own lives now but I sort of look and go wow they've all gone on to achieve great things in their life and I think that's the thing that I look and go that you've had an opportunity to help mould these people and that's like gold medals are are great things they're fantastic but it's the people and the connections that you make with the people that are the real important things that you look and go, have I helped form that life? Have I made them a better person? And I think that's what sport or well, the beauty of our sport is that you help them in so many other aspects that, um, yeah, we had like one young boy that, um, that was coming into 2000 Olympics. He had a boating accident and nearly lost his arm. And, um, yeah, I remember how all the kids rallied around and just said they were a family. It wasn't just a group of kids that came together to train. They were a supportive network that even the parents, like it was a time that I sort of look back now and I will even at that point I reflected and went, what we do is more than just sport. It, we're creating lives and we're creating connections that these kids will hold for lifetimes. And, yeah, a lot of those kids are still really good friends now with one another. So I think yeah, you can never undervalue what we actually do on a pool deck. You mentioned something before that uh, I, you know, piqued my interest in terms of just getting your take on it. Do you think you know, being a mum and certainly in a high profile position as you were at that time, do you think that's appreciated enough in terms of, do you think people understand it enough? I certainly see what my own wife went through. I told you my daughter was born 14 weeks early and and the struggles that went around, you know, then trying to get back to work and all that sort of stuff. Do you think it can be appreciated or do you think that's changed over the years? Um, I think we've got, better in society of accepting women and their roles. But I think the thing we undervalue is um, how good we are at multitasking, that, yeah, that your yeah, house is still running, you're working full time, you've got, like I remember once there was somebody that was working in my program and I said, look, I said it's like spinning plates because they said, oh, you're not organised. I said, organised? I said, do you know how many facets there are in my life? I said, I'm like spinning tops. I said, if I can keep all the plates spinning and one doesn't smash, I've done well. So, and I think the thing is too, well, you'd know your wife. She, they're usually the ones that put themselves last, that when you become a mum, that, um, yeah, and I think that's the thing that I reflect on now that I was probably better at when I had just Craig and Ian and those guys, and it was just me, I would make myself more of an important figure. Mm. Where now I'm a mother, it's a wife, that you put yourself way down the list and you don't prioritise yourself. So I think that's something that I've, in like in reflection, that I haven't been probably the best at, that I haven't put myself number one. So, yeah. Well, have you, have you done any, you know, soul searching around that? Cause I'm on a, on a quest, Tracy, and I ask this of all my guests, a quest for that elusive balance in life, because as I said to you, I've got, you know, my daughter, my wife, full-time coaching gig. Obviously this has become very full-time. I'm almost doing an episode, like an interview a day. So it's, you know, the research, all that sort of stuff that goes into it. And I definitely enjoy it. But, it, you know, there's definitely days you, I can hear my daughter knocking at the front door and, and calling dad, dad. And I think, oh, should I be doing this right now? Should I be out there? Should, I, should we be at the park just playing? Do you, do you find that hard? And have you, you know, found any sort of answers around that since you've started to really look into making sure you're looking after yourself mm-hmm. and finding the balance? Well, I think like when I had the kids, I've always put my kids first and foremost. So... I've always made sure that I've made time for them. So when they've been at school things, like even training, all my athletes were of an understanding. Training would finish, I'd drop the kids at school 
I'd be there for school drop-off, school pick-up, that I still had to be mum. And I think that was really important. And even when I travelled, like a lot of the times domestic travel, I would travel with the kids because it was important for me still to be mum. And, um, yeah, some people found it hard, I think, at first for me with that concept. But I functioned better when I did have my kids around, that I could be mum and I could be coach. And sometimes to turn off and just be coach, I wasn't at my best when I was mum. But I think it's actually sitting down, like I said to you before, to have the conversation and listen to what we need. Like for me, that worked. But for some other women, that may not work for them. But it's knowing what works for each person. And that could be the same for fathers. Like some fathers may function better with their kids and family around. Some may not. And I think it's an appreciation for what we need to make us do the job to the best of our ability and not presume the knowledge. I think that's the big thing too. The move to the AIS, how did that come about and how much do you enjoy working down in Canberra? Um, well, my role was sort of changing at Sutherland and um, I knew it was time that I had to redevelop me and evolve myself. So I put in for that position. Um, fortunately and gratefully, I got the position and, um, yeah, it was another good learning curve for me. It was an opportunity to step into a coaching program, which I really I thrived in that capacity to working with other personalities, I think was good. But it was a big life change for us. It was, um, and that's another thing too, as a coach, I think you have to go where the work is as well. That's like football coaches are the same. Yeah. Sporting is... It's a, it's a hard gig. You've got to go where the work is. And, yeah, that was hard. So we had to uproot our life in Sydney and move to Canberra. And it was difficult to start. It wasn't easy, I must say. It was pretty difficult. But I was lucky. My sister was in Canberra. So we had family. And, yeah, she made our transition a lot easier. And we made, yeah, wonderful friends in Canberra. It was the best probably... It's a place that we still look and go. It was fantastic point in our life. It was a place that gave us a lot, mm. more than just jobs. It gave us friends. It gave us connection. It gave us purpose in life. So, yeah, really so, lovely people. Undervalued, Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I can tell you this much. Anytime I take a, a small group down to always there's um, Canberra Short Course Championships or ACT titles or whatever they've got going on at, uh, at the AIS there, I always take a team down. And I've never had a team not like just do really well. It's a, yeah. it's a fast pull. They love it. They love the atmosphere. We were stay at a caravan park or... I don't like to get the high-rise hotels. I like to keep it pretty low-key and, and let, let – if I could sleep in a tent, I'd make them sleep in tents, but you know what the parents are like. They're not going to be sleeping in tents. But um, definitely, yeah, never had a bad experience down there, that's for sure. No, they run good meets. They're good ACT swimming. They do very good family-friendly meets. Very good. I can 100% uh, agree with that. The coaches you worked with um, down at the AIS, talk to me about those guys, the group of people you got to work with, what you learned, you know, obviously would have been a great learning factory, basically, if you needed any, you know, guidance, any information, it, you know, probably would have only been so far away to get it. Um, well, when I came in, Shannon was the head coach. Shannon Rollinson was head coach. Uh, Vince Raleigh was working there. Um, Jim Fowley was on staff. So we had three really high profile, successful coaches um, I came in and to start with, I was just working across programs to start with. And then Shannon gave me some of my own athletes and I was fortunate. One of those was Alice Mills. And, um, yeah, she, she really helped me develop a different side of my coaching skills. She, um, we revisited some events that she hadn't swum for a while um, we had to revisit the fun in her swimming and the enjoyment and what it was that made her 
come to the pool every day. So to question the things why she did things was a big thing for me and to be able to, like I say, sometimes you've got to be able to undo the doors to athletes. She definitely made me work for things but also made me show another side of myself in my coaching. So, yes, I had her. I um, had Jade Nelson. She came into the program. Zoe Johnson, a country girl that was... um, Jim Fowley was also down there too. Like Jim worked at Gin and Dara but mm-hmm. was always on the outlook for talent to come in. So he was a bit of a talent spot for us, not, not that he was to work in that capacity but yeah. worked in that capacity. Um, yeah, so he, um, Zoe, I had her. And then I had um, a young boy that came in from Newcastle, Jared Keeley, and... Um, yeah, he was an open water initially, but then went into two, four, and fifteen. And he, yeah, he was a kid that really made me. I had to work for things. He made me work for things, if that makes sense. He, um, he was definitely the sort of kid that would ask the question why. Yeah, he was a. He was different to somebody I had coached before, but. Looking back now, definitely made me examine why I was doing things. And, yeah, he, yeah, one of the best kickers I've ever coached. He was, yeah, he made world championships. He swam extremely well. And then um, I got uh, Tommaso de Sonia. So his big goal was 100 metre free in London. Wanted to make the 4 by one freestyle relay team. Um, he was he made it onto the team but was wasn't to get a spot in the final swim um so our goal was just to have a fast swim some amount of time that was going to be fast and see what would happen and yeah but the relay team sort of didn't perform I think the way that they were anticipating would perform and um yeah he ended up he got the heat swim in the four by one medley relay and come back with a medal so it was pretty phenomenal and then that year I took both of them to world short course both come home medalists so that was pretty good um yeah and then I had um Justin James uh Jeremy Meyer yeah I've had uh Kurt Kurt, I had him. Yeah, I've had some really good Bronte Barrett. Yeah, I had quite a few athletes. It was a transient sort of period too that I had athletes. That There were some that come in for rehab, some that my, um, well, part of my plan was that I had to upskill them, get them better, send them back out. And then um, in my last venture, the National Training Centre, yeah, that was, I had three really, well, four actually. So um, Acacia Weldonsteden. So she'd had pretty bad shoulder injury. We weren't able to do any swimming for three, well, she could kick for three months. So that was pretty much it. And went to Commonwealth Games trials, made the final 100 breast. Yeah, um, yeah so she... Um, she was definitely one that she was she was food for my soul she 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 was a special one yeah <laughs> um, Do you know what, Tracy, I, I, i'll give you a break for a second cuz i'll let you c- collect yourself uh, one thing i've i've really enjoyed talking to you and this is the first time you've sort of let your emotions get to you, but I could see there's been a few times they almost did. I've enjoyed that part of it. There's definitely, you know, at coaching at times, I think, um, you know, we can look at things almost superficially, I think, but there's nothing superficial about what you do. You feel everything you're, you're feeling every, you know, moment of it. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, you, you mean what you say and you definitely care about your athletes, which I definitely appreciate. Thanks. No, she, um, it was um, very sweet when we finished at the NTC. Um, yeah, I had some real gems. Um, Hayley Baker, mm. yeah, she was like a 
she made the Commonwealth Games team, which was pretty special again. Um, yeah, she made me realise the importance of just seeing the beauty in people. So she she made me see things in a different way. Dallas Rogers, a super hard trainer, like she she was a little gun that just got in and did what she had to do and one that you sort of look and people go, oh, uh, it, she was like, she's going to be something special and she was and Jacinta, Jacinta Essam and then I had a couple of, really good little Canberra kids that had come in that were coming in and starting to do some work with me. So, yeah, it was a, a pretty nice little pocket of kids that I had. And, yeah, so Chloe Esposito, she used to come in and do some work with us and Max. So, yeah, so, um, and that's the thing too. I think, like, I look and there's athletes that I had at AIS, but I also... Like I worked with many different programs like Triathlon Australia. I worked with women's water polo. Like there were girls that were in rehab that would come in and swim with me. And like I look and you see those girls go to the Olympics and go, wow, like I helped be a part of that. It might have only been a small, but you helped in some capacity. And like those girls were fantastic for my program. They showed what just the courage and just the hard yards getting in and just doing the grind Mm. and yeah and I think that's a thing we can learn from many different athletes we don't need to yeah like boxing girls I used to have boxing girls that would come in one day a week and swim with us too so yeah you didn't start sparring with them did you no, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm a bit of a pied piper. I'll just yeah. I'm yeah, if somebody needs some help and if I can be that person, I'll be that person. So, yeah, I've, I think that's something that's always been brought into me. But, yeah, I um, yeah, I got upset with Acacia because it was, um, there was a moment just um, I found this tree and it was a dead tree and the poolies said to me, oh, you've got to throw that out. And I said, no, 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 I'll just put it in some water and I put it in the pool water and it started to sprout. Anyway, then it was like this like moment where everyone was like, oh, my God, what's happening to this tree? <laughs> yeah. said, just watch and see. Mm. Anyway, when Acacia left, she wrote me this note and it was really beautiful. That's what she said. She said, you are, and she spoke about this tree and I was like, it was just a tree. Yeah. She turned around and she said, you see things in people that people don't see in us. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's why I got upset. (laughs) And the tree is definitely a very good metaphor for that. Everyone else was saying, throw it out, get rid of it. It's a heap of junk. And you were like, no, no, let's. let's." I think that's that's any athlete. Mm. You've just got to look within. All of them don't give up on people. I think that's the most important thing. No, I love it, mate. I, I'm a definitely appreciator of that uh, way of thinking. Um, not long ago, you moved to Brisbane and, and became the head coach at Rackley Parkinson. Um, what brought that move about? And then, you know, how much have I you enjoyed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much have you enjoyed the change? Because it, it's definitely uh, a change and, and it would present its, its own new challenges, no doubt. Yeah, no, I've gone back to grassroots again. So I'm back at... Um, developing a program so um, young kids I'm really lucky I've been fortunate I've come across a real gem in Humberto as my a coach my coaching team partner great man so Humberto. He, yeah so he's um he's been great he's he brings joy excitement laughter to the pool deck every day and um yeah it's it's definitely been yet another learning curve, developing myself again, going back in and starting again in a new program, um, establishing yourself. I think that's a hard thing too and what your ground rules are and what your expectations are. So, yeah, but, yeah. So we're back in the, back in the grind. 
Yeah. Now, mate, for a lot of people out there, they're just starting into maybe the, a new coaching gig. Maybe they are assistants looking to be head coaches. Maybe they're just coming into being a head coach. What advice would you give to those guys about trying to, you know, look at building their own legacy and their own program? Obviously, we've touched on a lot of things during this chat, but are there certain, pardon me, fundamentals that you sort of look at, like when you started back and there was a fresh new program, certain fundamentals that you went through? Um, I think, no, first of all, know who you are. I think that's, um, and I, I think that's hard sometimes too because people want to push and pull you in many different ways. So it's being strong in your own beliefs, um, not deviating from those. Enjoy what you do. Most importantly, you've got to enjoy being on the deck every day. Mm. Um, enjoy the people around you. Have a good team of people around you and find the fun and excitement in what you do. I think, yeah, it's we're not all going to be Olympic champions and if we are. And I think, too, the most important thing is celebrate your moments because they can be far and few between. Mm. And... Yeah, a PB. Like a kid gets a state medal or makes a state time, celebrate it. You never know what's around the corner. So, yeah, I think we're too fast to dismiss performances that we won't sit and celebrate the performances for what they are. I think that's great advice. And I definitely, just listening to all the, you know, the the champions that I've had on here, a lot of the times, you know, I'll say things and, and they say, I can appreciate it a lot more now, but at the time it was like, okay, I got that gold medal. What are we planning for next? Where are we headed to? What's the next meet? What's our next goal? So I think you're hundred percent right, mate. Just celebrating and embracing, enjoying what you've been able to achieve, not necessarily lose focus on where you're heading, but yeah. still take a moment to, you know, take a breath and, and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. And I think it's celebrate the successes. And, and be there for the athletes too that, with the disappointments. I think that's the most important thing to be balanced on both aspects. Mate, I'm going to finish up with some less serious questions. I'm going to stop upsetting you now and I'm going to try and um, <laughs> I'm going to ask some questions. Sorry, that'll, no, you're all right. No, it's all good. We're going to see um, what you like at home and what you like to watch, if you like to read stuff, just some you know, oh, less, less serious oh. questions. So whatever comes to your head though, don't worry. There's no judgment here. Certainly. Around music, I think some people sometimes are reluctant to actually say what sort of music they like because they don't want to be judged by people. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it out there and you, you throw it back, whatever comes to your okay. mind. So what's your favourite music to listen to? Oh, oh dear. The moment. Um, oh, wow. Oh, we've gone pretty old school at the moment, actually. We've been back listening like to In Excess, U2, um, oh, even Pub Rock we've been back like old classic Australian stuff. So, um, yeah, we're a bit eclectic, our family, so we'll listen to a bit of anything and everything. just depends. So, yeah. It's all a, a mood thing, isn't it, I reckon? Like if I'm in the if – if I couldn't be fast, I'll just put the radio on. But if I'm in a R&B mood, there'll be some R&B. If I'm in a dance mood, there'll be some, you know, you know Richard. So he'll send me through some tunes. So I'll, do, I'll play some of those in the car while I'm having my coffee. Yeah, well, it just depends too. The kids will be like, they'll start investigating music and, oh, like Queen, we've been listening to Queen and, yeah, Eurythmics, my God, like, yeah, real old school stuff. Yeah, some of those are timeless though, mate, aren't they? Like you could, it doesn't really matter how, it's still 20 years and you can listen to Queen songs. Uh, What about favourite movies? Certainly in isolation times, did you get a chance to watch some? Oh, yeah, we've. Yeah, we've done quite a few movies. Um, we're, we're a bit of suckers for the good old Disney sort of movies. We like Disney. We've actually been hitting up um, some of the war movies of late. So, okay. yeah, Boy in the Striped Pajamas was the other day. That was very sad. Really? And documentaries. We've been into the docos of late. So, yeah. It's interesting you say um, Disney movies. I, I have to watch so many with my daughter. She loves... Um, the Good Dinosaur. She loves Finding Dory. She loves Monsters Inc. And only those three, by the way. You can't put on something else. So I can pretty much tell you. Yeah, I can pretty much tell you the whole script. (laughs) Um, What about books? Do you do you read much? Um, I've just 
been reading the Animeers book. That is a very good read. Yeah. Uh, we watched the Michelle Obama documentary, Becoming. So we've yep. been reading that one. Um, yeah, oh, lots of different things. Like, yeah, I'll just, sometimes I'll do like a bio, I'll be reading that, and then I might read an article. Or, yeah, so yep. I've been reading a bit of wide and diverse. I um yeah I can only read autobiographies. I'm not really someone. I mean I'm happy to watch yeah, a movie that's yeah yeah yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I get around that. What about some of the favourite countries you visited? Oh, um, Istanbul would be one that I um, yeah I didn't know what to anticipate. That was really nice. I didn't mind Russia. Russia was quite nice. Um. Japan, I love Japan, I love Japan. Um, Argentina was beautiful when I went with Jim for Youth Olympics. That was a really pretty place, Argentina. Yeah, I, I think I sort of look anywhere I go, I'll see, try and find the beauty in the place that I'm in and yeah. explore it. Barcelona is one of my favourite places in the world, so, yeah. Barcelona, yeah. I can concur. I've been there twice now and it was perfect. Uh, if we were yeah, at the pub... The pub. If we're at the pub and I was going to go up to the bar to get a drink for, I'm going to have um, um, wild turkey and Coke. If, what would I be buying for you? Um, either a soda water or a ginger beer, probably. <laughs> not much of a drink or you don't drink at all? Oh, no, used to be. Not really now. Not really now. So, yeah. We had a bit of a moment, though, the other day. We went to um, Noosa Surf Club. and. Yeah. My daughter likes ginger beer, non-alcoholic though. Yes, yes. And, um, yeah, my husband went and ordered a ginger beer and I had a moment. I was like, is that alcoholic or non-alcoholic? <laughs> I said to my daughter, don't you dare try that. Let me try. <laughs> it was alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> lucky, lucky. Lucky. Mm. Mate, I think uh, that is a perfect time to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to come on for a chat. You got straight back to me too. I know I spoke to Barry Prime to to talk to you and, and to try and get you and you pretty much got back to me the next day. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you. He's a legend of the sport, that young. He is, he is definitely a legend. He's someone I can go to anytime. I know I coach in New South Wales now, but if I need to get some advice, I can call him pretty much anytime. And um, yeah, he's, he's great for a chat. And he's a wealth of knowledge that I don't think at times gets used enough. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, mate, thank you very much again for being, you know, so open and honest and I loved it. And I think a lot of people are going to get some great takeaways from this interview. So um, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swing podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming podcast is proudly brought to you as always by Nico and our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. A huge week of interviews still to come this week with many, many more inspiring women coming your way here on the podcast. They're ready to share their story, so do not miss a minute of the action. Until tomorrow, guys, be kind to one another, keep smiling, and it's bye for now.